I do hope uh, you picked up a copy of the uh, sermon notes uh, this morning. If you did not, just grab you a copy as you uh, leave. Uh, You'll notice uh, there's no blanks to fill in this morning. Uh, A couple reasons for that. There's no PowerPoint, so I wanted to make it a little easier on you. Plus, this is something I'm I'm hoping you will fold, uh, put in your Bible, and uh, keep with you. Uh, through this new year and uh, apply the truth that is here, and that'll become clear as we go further. Uh, Today, basically, I'm going to make an appeal to you, an appeal to do something every day in the new year. What I ask you to do will not take more than five minutes each day, but if you consistently do it, it will make a significant impact on your life. What is my appeal? I simply ask you to pray two prayers every day. And not out of just mere rote or repeating words, but to pray these two prayers from the sincerity of your heart to God. Now, before we examine the two prayers... Let me share with you a very basic truth about prayer that is absolutely crucial for believers to understand. And here it is. There is no power in prayer, in and of itself. Now, before you stone me and uh, get me uh, off of this pulpit, let me explain myself. Power resides in in the person of God alone. Prayer is the means given to God's child to plug into God's power in order to be lit by God to be a light for Christ. Prayer, let me give you an illustration. Prayer could be likened uh, to an electrical cord on a lamp. Uh, Although that cord is absolutely necessary, and it is absolutely necessary to light up the lamp, reality is the cord possesses no power by itself. The value of the cord is what? Its ability to plug into a power source and then to conduct that electricity to light up the lamp. Uh, But if that cord doesn't get plugged into the power source, it's what? Absolutely useless. In the same way, you can literally pray around the clock. You could pray 24-7, but if your prayers are not plugged into the person of God, they are as powerless as an unplugged electrical cord. Uh, Jesus actually said in Matthew chapter 6, that many, many people's prayers are nothing more than meaningless repetition. We read in James 4, 3, you ask and you do not receive. Why? Because you ask with wrong motives. Prayer is not a celestial vending machine. As if you make your selection and then you insert your claim into one of God's promises and then out pops Uh, what you selected, all for your enjoyment. That's the prosperity gospel. 
health, wealth, prosperity gospel that's destroying the church today. God will never be reduced to a genie in a bottle that waits to fulfill your every wish. Authentic prayer only begins when you surrender your life to the sovereign God who commands you. We have been deceived into believing that prayer is our means to get God moving to accomplish our desires, but nothing could be further from the truth. Prayer is God's means to get us moving, to get us involved, active in His will and work. And by the way, that is the only place where you're going to find true joy and fulfillment. A prayer is not trying to bend God's will to your will. Prayer is bending your will to His. Prayer is not trying to persuade God to do something that He's reluctantly wanting to do. No, prayer is cooperating with God to accomplish what God longs to do. And what He longs to do is to form Christ in us to be displayed through us to accomplish His plans and to accomplish His purposes. So again, let me state the basic truth about prayer. Prayer's purpose is to plug you into the person of God so God can light you up to be a light for Christ. Prayer is the cord that connects you into an intimate relationship with God and then conducts God's power into your life so that in this new year, in this new year, you will be able to live for Christ in every circumstance, to love like Christ in all relationships, to look to Christ in all of life's decisions, and to lean on Christ in all of life's challenges and trials and adversities. That's why He gave us prayer. Now, with that, look at the two prayers that I'm asking you to pray every day in 2020. Both prayers are found in the book of Ephesians, well, one in Ephesians chapter 1, the other in Ephesians chapter 3, and the purpose of both of these prayers is to plug you into the person of God in order to light you up to be a light for Christ. And so that first prayer is in Ephesians 1, so look in your notes at verses 18 and 19a. I probably should have actually started in verse 17. Uh, verse 17 uh, says that, asks that, it states that God the Father uh, would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. That's the heart of this prayer. God, give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they can see Jesus, so that they can know Jesus. And in verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, may be open to see what? So that you may know three things. First, what is the hope of His calling? Second, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe? And let me make this very simple for you. He, he asked that our eyes be open to see three things. First thing is the hope of our calling. Put that in very simple terms. He's saying, God, open their eyes to see your plan for their lives, your purposes, that they would embrace those plans 
and fulfill those purposes. And then the second thing when he says, pray that they might see the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints, this is very important. He said, open their eyes to enable them to see what they already possess. In other words, this verse, the way it's stated, is that God is actually already deposited into the believer. He's already deposited into the church all the riches of his grace. All that he is, all that he possesses, we already possess. And then he prays that our eyes would be open to see what? The surpassing greatness of the power that is not outside of us, but what? That's inside of us. He's referring to the person of the Holy Spirit that has come to dwell within our hearts. So this prayer is basically saying, God, open their eyes. Let the lights come on that they would see what they possess in Christ, who Jesus is, what they possess in Christ, and then learn how to appropriate all that by faith that they might fulfill your plan for their lives. Now, it's very, very important to see what precedes uh, this prayer. In verses 3 through 14, a magnificent section in Ephesians 1, it's actually one continuous sentence in the Greek text, it enumerates all the blessings that a Christian has received from God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, let me just quickly summarize those verses for you. First, it says that God the Father chose us to be the bride of Christ, that He adopted us to be His children, and He has accepted us to be His beloved. God the Son redeemed us to be His treasured possession. He forgave all our sins, and He has given us an eternal inheritance. And then God the Spirit sealed us to be God's possession forever, and He was given to us to dwell within us as God's irrevocable pledge that he would fulfill all his covenant promises in the life of a believer. Justification, sanctification, and our eventual future eternal glorification. Now, the purpose of the prayer in Ephesians 1, again, is for the eyes of our hearts to be opened to see that all of these blessings are ours right now, right this very moment, and to begin enjoying them right now. In other words, what good is it being a son or a daughter if you're not enjoying the care of the Father? What good is it being a bride if you're not experiencing intimacy with the groom? What good is it inheriting riches if you do not spend the wealth? What good is it possessing power if you do not utilize it? Yet that is the tragedy of so, so far too many believers. We have a loving Heavenly Father, but we live like orphans. We have a divine groom that loves us with an unfailing love. But we live like we're a rejected, ugly, unwanted bride. We have inherited spiritual riches, but we live like spiritual paupers. We have the same power dwelling in us that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, yet we live like losers. Blind to who we are, blind to who we are and what we possess in Christ, 
what ends up happening. We spend our Christian lives trying desperately to obtain what we already possess. Now listen, beloved, the central truth of Ephesians, and especially chapter 1, is this. All who know Christ, if you know Christ today, then you have received all that Christ is. And you possess all that Christ possesses right now. Why seek for something more when you already have it all? Our greatest need, our greatest need as believers, without a question, is for our eyes to be opened, to see what we already possess, and then learn from God how to appropriate those riches, those blessings, through faith to accomplish His purposes for our lives. And that is the very heart of this prayer in Ephesians 1. Look again at those verse 18 and 19a. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, again, so that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints that He has deposited in you, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. Now, look how I have paraphrased the prayer in your sermon notes. Just a simple paraphrase. Lord, open my eyes to see Your plan for my life, and teach me how to appropriate your provision and power to accomplish it. That's the heart of what's being said in verses 18 and 19. God, open my eyes. Open, open, open my eyes to see your marvelous, wonderful, unspeakable plan for me, the provision that you've already made for me, the power you've already given me, and and teach me how to appropriate that provision and power that I might accomplish your plan, that I might finish the work that you have here on earth for me to do. You know, what is very interesting and very convicting about Paul's prayers when you study them in the Bible is that he rarely prayed for things that we spend most of our times praying about, Uh, like health, uh, money or job issues, uh, family problems, or a world crisis. Uh, Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying Paul did not pray about those things. I'm not saying we should not pray about those things. We should. That's the wonderful privilege that's been given to us in prayer. We can bring all things to God. But I am saying this. We learn from Paul that the primary objective in prayer is that our prayer should be focused on spiritual growth. Our spiritual growth and the growth of others. And something is terribly wrong if our prayers never get to that point. And if they just stay on these other issues. Uh, Paul was constantly praying exactly what we see in Ephesians 1. That God would give us an understanding to who Christ is, what we possess, and learn how to appropriate those spiritual riches. And, and I guarantee, if you will pray this prayer every day in 2020, there's a couple of things that's going to happen. Now, it won't happen immediately, but if you consistently do this... And even as you confront trials and adversities, come back to these prayers, gradually the focus of your prayers will move. They'll move from what you think 
you need to get from God to make you happy to seeing what you already possess in Christ and learning how to use it for His glory. You'll also find that your focus will slowly move from outcomes and results. See, that just sets us up for disappointment. I'm not God. You're not God. God is sovereign. God's got the plan. I'll tell you something if you don't realize it. You don't know best. He does. But I do it. We all do it. It's like we think we know what is best in this given trial, adversity, or circumstance. And so we put the focus on an outcome or a result, getting that from God. And then if we don't get it, we plunge into despair, disappointment. We even get angry with God. But if you will focus on these prayers, your focus, this is exactly what will happen. It will, it will shift. It will move from seeking outcome and results to knowing and trusting Jesus. Jesus, the one who loves you most and knows what is best for you. It will bring, it will bring a rest. This is a marvelous cure from anxiety. As I know that I can cast all my cares over on him, knowing that he cares for me, that he does love me. We just saw how we've been adopted into God's family as his child. He loves and values Andy Merritt as much as he loves and values Jesus Christ. He's just as committed to protect me, to provide for me, and to glorify me that I might finish the work he has on earth for me to do as he was committed to do the same for Jesus. And that's true of you too as a believer. And that's a marvelous truth that's a Bring great peace and rest, even in the midst of difficulty. Now, you'll notice in your notes, I've included just some questions uh, along the way to help you evaluate your life. And, and hopefully, uh, the, my, my, my goal is not to uh, heap condemnation or, or, or guilt. Uh, I mean, there is an element of conviction, of course. But it, the, the goal is really to move you more to a Godward focus. And so that first question right here would be, am I living for my gratification or God's glorification? Or we might better ask that because we're talking about prayer. My prayers. Are my prayers focused on my gratification or God's glorification? Are my prayers focused more on what I want from God or are my prayers focused on getting to know God? What I possess and learning how to appropriate that to accomplish God's plans and God's purposes. Now, the prayer in Ephesians 1 continues. Look at uh, verses 19b through 23. He's just talked about that, that, that power, the, that, uh, the greatness of power toward us who believe. And he says, that, he's talking about that power. These are in accordance, the power, with the working of the strength of his might when he raised Christ from the dead. In other words, he's, he's telling us uh, the level of the power that's been made available to us. It's not just any power, but he's saying the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, that power is in you, with you, been made available to you. Again, not to do anything and everything you want, but to accomplish God's plans and purposes. Again, the only place you're going to find true joy and fulfillment. 
So these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might when he raised Christ from the dead. And notice, and he put all things in subjection under his feet. And he gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and in all. So this prayer is talking about the exaltation of Christ to that place of supreme authority through his resurrection. Uh, and what that means for you as a believer. What that means for this church family and for the church universal. Notice the emphasis on all things. Notice all things, all things, circle that, all things. There's no exception. All things which exist have been put under Christ's authority. Been put under Christ's authority to be arranged and ordered by Him. The truth here is the feet pierced for your transgressions and my transgressions rest on the necks of our enemies. And those feet stand over our trials and our adversities. Therefore, everything, everything without exception that comes into our lives is under Christ's power. The good, the bad, the ugly, the past, present, future, all things are being transformed by Jesus Christ, arranged by Jesus Christ, ordered by Jesus Christ for your spiritual growth, for the church's growth. I've said this so many times from this pulpit. Don't get wrapped up so much on current events, whether it's political in this nation or world events, that you don't lose sight of the fact that the wheels of history turn for one purpose. That's the good of God's family. To shape us into the image of Jesus Christ, to purify our lives, that he would be formed in us to be displayed in and through us. And that's why when you look at church history, when you look at history itself, it is about Christ. It is about his people. And we see whether it's persecution, whether it's the depths of adversity or trial, God is able to transform, arrange, order all those things, ultimately for our good and his greater glory. So see in your notes sort of how I've summarized uh, this portion of the prayer. Uh, I, I say that I place my faith in God. I place my faith in God who raises the dead, and I place my faith in that God who raises the dead. How? By offering my weakness to be God's opportunity to display His strength. And reality is, as you go into 2020, you will be faced with innumerable opportunities that will be brilliantly disguised by God as impossible situations. And why does he do that? So that he gets the glory. So when it's all said and done, the smoke clears, there'll be no explanation other than what? God did it. And you're not the one that's put on the pedestal. You're not the one that put in the spotlight. But God is put on the pedestal. God is put on the spotlight. In the spotlight, he is the one that is uh, exalted. Now, here's the question to help you move here to a more Godward focus. Am I focusing on my inability or trusting God's ability? Am I focusing on my inability or trusting God's ability? Am I focusing on the impossibility of what I see as this human situation or circumstance or adversity? Or am I focusing on a God 
who will keep his word, will keep his promise, who will be with me through thick and thin, providing grace for me. Like Paul said, I can do all things, what? Through Christ who strengthens me. And he gives that as the basis for his ability to be content in any and every circumstances, no matter how difficult. At this point, we move to the prayer in Ephesians 3. Look at Ephesians 3.16. That he would grant you, this is the prayer, that God would grant you according to the riches of his glory. Stop right there. We've seen that phrase already before. We saw it in the prayer in Ephesians 1, where he talks about uh, the riches of his glory, which is our inheritance. Those are the, he's talking about those same riches that he's deposited in us, in us, not outside of us, nothing you got to look for, seek for, but he says, it's already yours, all my grace, all my gifts, all my power, anything and everything you will ever need, because you have me, whatever you need, I am, and the great I am is in you, living through you. By the power and ministry and person of the Holy Spirit. And he says, notice that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. So circle that inner man. This is what we need to see. And don't ever lose sight of this. The inner man is what counts to God. The inner man is what counts. It's easy to put a mask on spiritually. That is about a thousand miles away from what's true on the inside. And what we need to see here from God's perspective, it's the inner man that counts. It's in the inner man that he wants authenticity. It's in the inner man that he wants you to be totally honest with him, totally transparent with him. It's in the inner man where he wants you to learn Christ-likeness. Now, again, it's a process. It is, that's why honesty and transparency in the inner man is so important. God can handle your imperfections. He knows that you're a sinner. And he's got an answer for that. Jesus. His forgiveness, His love and grace that can deliver you not only from the penalty of sin, but the power of sin. What God has no answer for is hypocrisy. You're never going to get anywhere with God until you get totally, absolutely honest and transparent about where you are. And if you're a believer, you don't have to be afraid to get honest and transparent. Because He loves you with a love that will never fail you. That will never let you go. He's committed to your spiritual welfare. To your spiritual wel welfare. Look, look how I've, my paraphrase there. Lord, continually cleanse my inner man. And, and, I'm, and I, I'm being more specific on what I mean by the inner man. We're talking about our thoughts. We're talking about our affections. We're talking about our will, our allegiance. So that there will be nothing between us. That's the prayer here. Lord, so cleanse my inner man. So move, bring such uh, uh, an honesty and transparency with us. So where that I'm walking in the light, even as Christ is in the light. To continually know the blood of Christ cleansing me from all sin. So that there will be nothing between us. And so the question, to help you hopefully move to it a more Godward focus. Uh, 
uh, am I walking in total honesty and transparency before God? Am I confessing and forsaking all sin to walk in agreement and harmony with God? That's the question. Am I walking in honesty and transparency? Confessing and forsaking all sin to walk in agreement and harmony with God. Notice the prayer continues in uh, verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, we've addressed this before in in previous lessons. Uh, This is a portion of the prayer that has confused many believers. They, They ask, why would a believer ask for Christ to dwell in our hearts when our hearts are already His home? Uh, that when I placed my faith in him, I received him, and he, he came to dwell in me, uh, again, through the person and power of the Holy Spirit. Well, the key is that word dwell. Yes, Jesus lives in you as a believer. The question is this, and this is the emphasis on the word dwell. Yeah, he's, he's living in you, but is Jesus comfortable living in you? Because if he's living in you, that means every place you go, he goes. Everything you see, he sees. Everything you hear, he hears. And that's a staggering thought. And that's the prayer. And, 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 and tie it to what we just said. He, he's saying that we would know the riches of his glory that he's already deposited in us. And that's been given to us, not so much to do something out there, but to do something in here. And to so cleanse me and begin to change me and transform me that Christ can be comfortable living in my heart. Where he's having his way. He's having his will. That I'm pliable, I'm moldable, I'm not resisting him, but submitting to him. So look at how I've paraphrased this portion for you. Lord, I surrender my heart to be Christ's home, where he will know no rival, no refusal, and no retreat. I put that no rival, no refusal, no retreat there. I I emphasized that all last year in many of our communion services. I mentioned it last Sunday and. Uh, Somebody asked me, uh, could I put that in print? Well, there you have it right there. So, Lord, I surrender my heart to be Christ's home uh, where he will know no rival. There'll be no refusal of him. There'll be no retreat from what he's asked me to do. And so the question to help you hopefully move towards a more Godward focus, very simply, is Jesus comfortable living in my heart? Great question to ask. Just get alone with God. Get in his light. Just get honest. Get transparent. And say, God, are you comfortable living with me? And you point out anything in my life that you're not pleased with, that grieves you, that pains you, that dishonors you. And I want to confess that. I want to forsake that. And I want to appropriate your riches to break away from that and to begin to live in a manner that would please you. And then look at Ephesians 3, 17b through 19a. And that you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Now, the first thing that you need to see that ties in with everything that we've already said, 
Look at that phrase, being rooted and grounded in love. He's stating a fact. That's not, he's not asking that the believer be rooted and grounded in love. He's acknowledging that the believer is rooted and grounded in God's love already. That's what we possess. And I need to realize as a believer, I am rooted in God's love, a love from which nothing on earth can uproot me from. Nothing can sever me from that love. And therefore, being rooted and grounded in love, here's the prayer. Oh, God, open their eyes that they would know, that they would comprehend together as a church family with all the saints, the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. See, his prayer is, they have your love. They're rooted in that love. They're grounded in that. Oh, God, open their eyes to experience it, to enjoy it, to relish in it. And, of course, the reason he wants us to know that love is that he wants us to be a channel to what? Display his love to others. And so that's why my paraphrase, I said, Lord... I open my heart to receive your love or to know your love in order to share your love with others. And so the evaluating question or the question to help you move maybe a little more toward a Godward focus, do I receive other people as gifts from God, providing me the opportunity to learn how to love others as Christ loved me? In other words, again, God is sovereign. He's the one that all things have been made subject to. He's the one that takes those all things and uses them to transform them, arrange them, and order them for my good, for my growth. And that includes all people. And because we fail to understand this, God will bring people into our lives that are difficult, that are irritating, that can wound us deeply, that can wrong us, hurt us, and if you don't understand this, you'll tend to resist that. You'll tend to, you'll get mad, you get bitter over the un- injustice of it all. And God says, no, receive that person. Receive even the wound as an opportunity to plunge into the depths of my love. To learn to forgive how I forgave. In order that through your life, once again, I would be, my forgiveness would be put on display. As it was put on display on the cross. I think of Philippians 2, um, where it's a marvelous passage. We've, we've, we've addressed it on different times here at the church, and matter of fact, fairly recently, when uh, that was sort of the heart of the message uh, right before Christmas. On Christmas is not just a story to be told, but it's a life to be lived. And we looked at Philippians 2, and, and one of the things that you see in Philippians 2 is we're, as we relate to one another, as we l- relate to other people, we're to think about other people with the mind of Christ, with the attitude of Christ. We're to look at them with the eyes of Christ. We're to embrace them with the arms of Christ, and we're to love them with the heart of Christ. And again, that's all people in all circumstances and situations, no matter how painful or how difficult. And so, uh, Ephesians 3, look at the next part of the phrase of prayer, 19b, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. In other words, 
when you put this together, going back to uh, that cleansing of the inner man so that quiet Christ can be comfortable in my heart, I mean, this brings us to what God is after. Bottom line, what God is after in Andy Merritt's life and my life is to clean my life out to fill me up with Jesus. That's it. But not just that. I need to make one added statement. He wants to clean Andy Merritt up to fill me with Jesus so that I can fill my world with Jesus. So that as I know him, grow in him, I'll make him known to others. And so, uh, Lord, fill me. Look at my paraphrase. Lord, fill me with Christ that I might fill my world with Christ. And then look at the question. Am I living to know Christ to make him known to the world? Am I living to know Christ in order to make him known to the world? And then notice how that prayer ends in verses 20 and 21. Now unto him, unto God, who is what? Able to do what? Exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works. Works where? Within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Notice. God is saying, I'm able. I'm able to do a miraculous work. And, but he's talking about a miraculous work in you. Not outside of you, but in you. That's what the whole prayer is about the transformation of the inner man. For you to be made more like Jesus. So in the context, you know, he's not talking about supernatural miracles necessarily that God does, uh, you know, in the world, uh, healing a person or, or raising a person, whatever it might be. He's talking about, hey, you need to look to me. Because in you, inside of you, in that inner man, with your thoughts, your affections, your will, I have the ability to do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything that you could ever ask or think. And I can do that by that power that works in you. And I'll do that for my glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. So I've paraphrased that, Lord, revive me. That's how we began the service with that song, revive me, O Lord. Lord, revive and use me by your power and for your glory. And then the question is, are my prayers focused on changing me or my circumstances? Great, great question. Your prayers, are they focused on changing your circumstances, getting a particular outcome or result, or changing you, knowing God knows best concerning outcomes and results? So my challenge is very simple. I'm asking you to pray these two prayers Every day in 2000, it will not take you more than five minutes. I would encourage you, get these prayers on your phone where they're accessible to you. I would even encourage you, I'm just asking you to pray these two prayers once every day, take you no more than five minutes. But how much more meaningful would it be that every time you hit a rough spot, every time you hit a trial or adversity, you'd go to your phone, you'd pull up these prayers and realize the issue is not what happens out there. The issue is what happens in here. And what you're going through right now, God wants to use to change you in here. And that's the focus of these prayers. And again, it's not that God is not interested in what happens out there. He is. But he knows the way to impact what happens out there 
is to do something miraculous in here, in the believer, in the church, so that we can walk as he walked. So, I can't think of a better way to close this message than I'll help you get started. Uh, Let me pray these two prayers uh, for me, for you, uh, for our church, and then I'll encourage you to do this each and every day in 2020. And, uh, and please, as you pray these prayers for yourself, right at the very end say, and Lord, would you do that for the Edgewood family as well? The whole family? Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would grant us that spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. We do pray that you would open, you would enlighten uh, the eyes of our hearts that we would see with greater clarity than ever before in 2020 what is the hope of your calling on our lives. That we would see, our eyes would be opened to all the riches of your glory that have been deposited in us. That in us is a treasure, a treasure that you've given us to use, to appropriate, not for our selfish ends, but to accomplish your plans and purposes and to glorify Jesus. And then, Lord, open our eyes to see the power you've made available to us through the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Oh God, break us of our tendency to lean on our own wisdom and understanding and the power of the flesh. Lord, I I do pray. I pray this for me. Kick out from underneath of us every single crutch we would lean on that would become a substitute to you and teach us to lean on you entirely. And depend on the power and person and ministry of the Holy Spirit that works in and through us. And then, Lord, grant us, grant us, again, according to the riches of your glory. Yes, to be strengthened with power. Through your Holy Spirit, in the depths of our inner man, in our thoughts, in our affections, in our will. And do that so that Christ would find in our hearts a home, a home where he could dwell comfortably, where he would be Lord with no rival, no refusal, no retreat. And we merely, in that relationship with him as his bride, would be his helpmate to accomplish His work, to finish the work that He began here on earth. And then, Lord, being rooted and grounded in Your love. I pray You would take us deep into the knowledge of that love, deep into its enjoyment, into experiencing the length, depth, breadth, and height of Your love. That love would not only bring us security, but it would free us to love others. It would free us to be vulnerable to others. Knowing that 
as we follow you, there is going to be persecution. There will be adversity. There'll be wounds. But you'll never leave us nor forsake us. And you'll always love us. And then, Lord, we're trusting you. We're going to trust you. We're going to believe you that you will do in this new calendar year, you will do in our individual lives and in our church family, exceedingly abundantly above and beyond anything that we could ask or think. And that you would do that according to that power that works in us, that power of the Holy Spirit. You'll do that for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. You'll do that to accomplish your purposes in and through us. So, Lord, I do pray that you would motivate us to pray these two prayers throughout this calendar year, that these prayers truly would grip our hearts. Uh, They would become an integral part of our lives and our hearts, and that uh, we would get to that place where we're just not praying them once every day, but as we do confront life's trials and circumstances and adversities, you would bring these prayers to the forefront of our minds and our hearts and that we, it would enable us to find in the midst of all that a Godward focus and not be lost in the maze of what life often can become and uh, and even the pain that can be experienced. So Lord, we trust you, we believe you, for it's in Christ's name we do pray, amen.